You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello, my name's David Frizzell, and in this episode 85 of the Team Guru Podcast, we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty of being a great leader. Scott Stein is the author of a brand new book called Leadership Hacks, Clever Shortcuts to Boost Your Impact and Results. And the book is full of exactly that, clever tips and tricks, hacks if you will, that you can start doing right now, today, that will make you a more impressive and effective leader. Scott talks about three really obvious but clever levels of leadership. Leading yourself, leading people one-on-one, and leading teams. I asked him to talk us through his top hacks, his best clever tips in each of those domains. And there are some complete gems in there. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Scott Stein. Scott Stein, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Scott, I've just recently read your book, which is a a really neat little book. I very much enjoyed it. It's called Leadership Hacks, Clever Shortcuts to Boost Your Impact and Your Results. We hear so much about hacks in today's world. There's all sorts of TV shows, life hacks. Every second podcast is something hack. Taking shortcuts It's all about, that's what our world's all about today, but I've not stumbled across the use of that word in the leadership world or the world of leadership development. How did you come to settle on that concept, the concept of hacks for your take on leadership? How did you get there? Well, it actually came from a client. Um, I was actually in a meeting with a client and looking at some situations and issues and problems that their leadership team had. And as we were talking through it, I shared what I call a delegation model or a delegated hack. And they said, that's what, that's it. That's what I need. I need something to help my leadership team hack what they're doing. Do you have a whole bunch of those? <laughs> and it, it really grew from there. You know, when I first read the title of your book, I, I was actually a little bit put off. I'm a real fan of Stephen Covey. And, and I know that Covey almost, almost literally, I don't think he uses the word hacks, but in his book, he talks about the growing habit in our society of looking for Band-Aid quick fix solutions, where of course so much of what he's about is understanding what's at the core of you and letting behaviors flow from those values and those principles. So when I read Hacks, I was like, uh, there's no such thing as kind of quick fix leadership, but your book is actually a little deeper than that. And it is uh, it does give a lot more understanding to the behaviors that are underneath it more understanding than I thought reading your title. In fact, you put me straight in the first chapter when you explained the modern use of the term hacks, and it's a lot used a lot more broadly than I gave it credit for. Yeah, if you think about you know the word hacks, as you mentioned earlier, it's been around for a while. And really, it was really started around in the really the 1960s or 70s, or even before that, when people would actually look at ways to hack circuit boards in the early computers. So it was actually the heart hacks that they initially looked at it. And then from there, 
kind of evolved into, all right, if you're an IT and computer, can you hack ways to get things done? And hack really meant how do you find things that aren't actually kind of out in the visible approach? They weren't written about in the universities. So you can do it in a different way and actually a smarter way. And then if you go forward in time as well with uh, Facebook, essentially even the manifesto that was put out before the IPO was all around what's called the hacker's way. And one of the things that Facebook still has to this day is they have a annual hacking day. Mm. And the hacking is designed to break our current systems to find a way to do it faster, quicker, and easier. And I think that's what hack is now about. Yeah. Really, for me, a, a leadership hack is anything that helps you accomplish more in less time. All right. Well, let's get into it. You're absolutely right. And, and it's not so much about hacking being superficial. It's everything that you just said. It's fast, clever, different. It's finding a new and better way. And I really like that definition. So you've broken down your book into three really simple sections. I like it. I, I like the way it's presented. It, it speaks to me. And it, it breaks leadership down into three really logical chunks, leading myself, leading people one-on-one, -on -one, and leading teams. Tell us about, let's go back to that personal hacks, leading yourself. Of course, we all know as leaders, you can't lead anyone. You can't lead anything until you are leading yourself. Tell us about some of the, those really powerful personal hacks that you've developed over your career. Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head when it comes to leaders need to actually take a look at themselves before they start thinking about what am I going to get my people to do? And what I've found over the last 20 years, and I was in America before that, was that the leaders that actually know how to put something in place, make it work, and then actually teach to their staff, the ones that are admired more. So the first section that I looked at in the book is really about individual hacks. The things that individual leaders can do to really actually kind of hack their time, hack their approach, be more innovative than everybody else. And really, there was a couple of big ones that I stumbled upon. The first one, and this came from my research, was about all the distractions. Mm. And there's a heap of distractions out there that stop us from doing what we know we should actually get done. And what the are first the things, ones, yeah, what, what are they? Because as soon as you say that, everyone who's listening to this and imagining their time at work is just like, yeah, my, my day seems to be one connected line of distraction. Oh, yeah. In fact, there was a recent report that was just come out by Udemy, and they, it was the Workplace Distraction Report for 2018. And what it showed is 69% of full-time employees are distracted at work, Yeah. right? And then the other thing that they found is 54% of employees surveyed attribute underperformance to these distractions. Wow. And in my research, what I've really found is there's kind of five main distractions. The first one is what I call lack of energy, which doesn't sound like a typical distraction, but because we're switched on all the time, everything's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, what's happening is we have no downtime. And when we don't get any downtime, our productivity starts to decrease because our energy isn't there. We don't have to bounce back. We don't have the spring. We actually don't have the brain cells firing on all cylinders. So we actually can keep that energy up and that focus up. Yeah. That was the first thing. Hey, you painted a really nice picture in, in your book where you talked about this obvious thing. It's come up on my podcast so many times where we are constantly connected. And I know people are sick of hearing that, but the reality of the difference between you and me going to work and our dads at the same stage of their career, I mean, they could leave the office at 5 p.m. And, and typically they really did leave the office at 5 p.m., if not before, 
and they were uncontactable until the next day. They didn't have emails to check. They could literally switch their brain off and engage with the family or engage with whatever it is that they were doing. So they were fresher at work and they had fewer distractions. When they did arrive at work, their brain hadn't been going at 100 miles an hour overnight and while they were hanging out at home and on the way to work in the bus, they were probably just sort of staring into the staring you know out of the bus window watching the world go by or reading a book at most whereas you and I are sitting there fiddling on our phone listening to podcasts flicking through the news while we're listening to a podcast i know that's really obvious and everyone listening already knew what i just said but the, the impact it has on keeping our mind active all of the time is so enormous we really have gone oh, through yeah. a revolution in our lifetime oh it's massive it's massive. And the other thing that I found, another one of the distractions, is we have a biological need to be busy. Um, there's a really famous experiment from the 1950s by Alton Milner. And what they did is they looked at rats. They actually put electrodes on their brain. And what they did is whenever the rat hit a lever, they would release some dopamine mm. into the brain. And what happened is, as a result of the rats hitting the lever, some of them wanted that hit of dopamine so much because they were so addicted they would press the lever up to 700 times an hour. Yeah. What the research has shown as human, we're the same. Yeah. Uh, whenever we- Addicted check to our being inbox, busy. Yeah. Yeah. It gets that dopamine going and that's what people are having a hard time stopping. That distraction is as long as I'm doing something, I'm fine. When if in reality, I'm probably doing a lot of time fillers that aren't helping me get the things done that I need to Scott, is, it, is that one of the things that you hear most from your clients? I know it's certainly one of the things I hear most. In every industry that I work in, people will tell you just how busy they are and they kind of add the sidebar, but you don't understand in this industry, we're super busy. We're under the pump as if I couldn't possibly know if I haven't been part of this industry before because of all industries, they are the busiest. Is that one of the things that you hear most from your clients? Is it consistent across oh, every industry you work consistent. with? It's consistent. It's consistent. So I, well, I what do is it about? What's, the, what's at the heart of that? Industries. I think part of it is they're just overwhelmed. Mm. There's so much information, so much technology coming in, and they don't know how to manage it. Yeah. They don't know how to put limits on it. You know, if you think about when we grew up, you know, when you had a telephone, it was on a cord to the wall, a couple of buttons that you push, and you might sit there for half an hour on the floor talking. You know, but if you wanted it, you had to physically go to wherever that phone was. Yeah, you had to be the home and, and get phones, your friend to agree yeah. to call you at the right time. Yeah. And then when mobile phones came, all right, we could be a little bit more mobile. But the first mobile phones were pretty, you know, pretty archaic. Yeah. You know, you could just make some calls. If you were lucky, you could actually Cumbersome. maybe play Snake on it. Yeah. But when the iPhone was released in 2007, it completely changed everything. Of course. It put us into apps. It put us into music. It put us into email. And everything's 24-7. And what I'm finding is people just don't know how to switch off. Yeah, They don't know how to stop that technology. And part of it is because they've never learned or had the need previously to know how to switch off. Yeah, it's, it is amazing. And it's a thing that we talk about a lot. And it's kind of obvious. Everyone is engaging with what we're talking about every day. But I wonder how often we really do think, stop and think about the ramifications of it across our life. You know, there's obviously some fantastic side benefits, enormous benefits that come with the life that we have. But we do need to continually remind ourselves of the costs that come with it as well. I'd take technology over no technology any day. I'd rather be al alive in 2018 than be my age in 1972 any day of the week. But 
it is, as I say, really important that we're we're aware and we're managing in our life the distractions because as you experience and as I experience in my line of work, everyone thinks they are under the pump. Everyone thinks they are super yeah. busy. And as you say, what it comes down to largely is our inability to manage all of the options that are around us, all of the information that is flowing across our desk, through our computers, into our ears, we're overwhelmed. Sorry, mate, I'm, I'm doing a terrible job of, of jumping in all the time because I find this so fascinating. You're talking about the five, the top five distractions. Number one was lack of energy. Number two was our yeah. addiction to being busy. What's number three, Scott? Number three is technology and how it overwhelms, mm-hmm. right? Which is what we've been talking we've about. Kind of not, there, yeah. not knowing how to, yeah, now to switch the, the, off, the off switch. The fourth one is about the mindset in self-doubt. And I find that happens a lot to people. They start second guessing. Yeah. And why are they second guessing? Because they're so overwhelmed. They don't have time to sit back, yeah. be objective, and actually look at things the right way. Hey, you and know, of course, Scott, the final distraction is just interruptions. Interruptions. Just, like, just like what I just did to you. I'm, I'm being terrible. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in a really interrupting mood. <laughs> I just want to jump in and talk about That's this great. stuff because it's so interesting. Back to number four, the, this, the mindset. I reckon – Unless you stop and think about it, most of us aren't aware of the level of self-doubt that is going on in our colleagues at work because people don't usually wear it on their sleeves so explicitly. It normally turns up in other ways. But when you are in a position like yours, I'm sure you've found just the percentage of people who have regular episodes or experiences of self-doubt, the the true doubt as to whether I'm good enough to do this job, if I can do it, can I impress, am I going to drop the ball on this? It's really enormous. And we know that the more connected we are with technology, the less connected we tend to be with the people around us. Is that idea of self-doubt one of the quiet, not killers in our workplace, but certainly one of the quiet eroders in our workplace? Yeah, I think it's uh, something that's there in the background and what I find, the more senior the leader, mm. the louder that voice of self-doubt gets. And, the, and the um, more, there's a saying, it's it's lonely at the top. Yeah, the more isolated you know, it's they very are. Lonely at yeah. The top. yeah, yeah, definitely. And without having somebody to be their advisor to be a soundboard that's not on the board, that's not in their executive team. Yeah, it's massive. I remember working with the CEO years ago, and billion-dollar company went through massive things as far as the market in the public the public domain and everything else. And I remember talking with him afterwards going, how did you come up with the strategy you came up with? Mm. You know, what was the process? And he just looked at me and just laughed. And he said, I had no, I said, we had no time to do this strategy. We didn't well do it well. We made every mistake. He said, and the thing that was killing me is I was just doubting everything that I was thinking. And I didn't have a way to get clear of all that and get some time to just think clearly. Yeah. Without that time to just step out of that madness and chaos, you just don't have a chance to think clearly or even gather your thoughts clearly. And it's really having a big impact. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. It's so true. I just did a little podcast on that myself a few weeks ago, giving yourself that Don Draper time to lie on your couch, whether it's real or metaphoric, and and just have a good think. In our days of back-to-back meetings and overflowing email box, 
inbox and our emails. We just don't give ourselves that time to think. And of course, the the fifth one is interrupting, which you've already said, which I interrupted you through. And after I read part of your book, I was at work the next day and uh, I noticed one of the, the silent interrupters that I'd never noticed before was just people walking past my desk. I didn't yeah, realize massive. until I read it in your book just how often I look up and break my chain of thought or my concentration just because someone's walked past. Now, they haven't done anything yeah. to interrupt me. They haven't reached out or said anything. I have just been looking, I guess, subconsciously for some kind of a distraction. The other ones that you talk about are, are kind of obvious and profound. We, we experience them all the time, email, phone calls, people coming to your desk, colleagues in the, in the next cubicle talking loudly on the phone, That the um, some of the the pitfalls of the open plan office, all those ones are really obvious, but I just found that one, the visual interruption of someone walking past, really interesting. Yeah, yeah, either visual or it might be temperature, mm. uh, where I've had some clients where, you know, the staff that are next to the windows because the sun's coming in, especially in Queensland or in New South Wales or wherever else, you know, they're uncomfortable and everything else. And then the other ones are the other side of the open plan office underneath the vents for the air conditioning. <laughs> And, you know, so they're always getting up to get out away from their desk. Yeah. Again, it's amazing if you look at all these little interruptions yeah. that kind of slow us down. Yeah, yeah, you add, exactly right. You add all those up and uh, and there you have a, just right there, a quagmire of interruptions. All right, well, they're the five interruptions. So what are the hacks? Great question. Some of them are obvious, you know, so as far as if you don't have the energy, well, block out the time. Take the time to recharge your batteries. If you are having the interruptions, do something to limit the interruptions. It may even be changing where your computer is at so you're not distracted visually by people walking by. You know, and a lot of people go, well, that's a little bit rude if I'm not facing out to the open plan office. And I'm going, well, if somebody really needs you, they're going to come over and walk and stand next to your desk anyways. Yeah. So little things like that can make a massive difference. On the email, I think that's something to just train yourself in, to not feel the need to constantly check your email. And there's a lot of email hacks that we can go through in, in a little bit. Mm. But it, as far as mindset and self-doubt, I think part of that is getting you to take the time so you can think. You know, you were talking about how our parents' generation would, you know, take the bus and have time to read a book or think. Mm. We don't have that time now. No. And usually it's not exploring what other options are. It's usually just responding to emails and responding to all the tasks that we have on our plate. So it's about scheduling time to be creative, to be innovative, and to recharge the batteries. That's the really big thing. You've got to carve that time out for yourself, don't you? It's No one's going to give it to you. It's not going to fall into your lap unless you consciously and very deliberately find that time for yourself. It just won't come along, whether it is just saying, look, all right, on the way into work, on the bus in the morning, I'm not going to listen to five podcasts and surf through my favorite news apps. I'm just going to sit here, stare out the window and have a good think or just relax my brain mm. so that when I get yeah. to work, I can do so in a state of something a little bit under frenzy. Yeah, that's right. And there's something else that I looked at in the book and it's, it's an actual exercise called an activity hack. Mm. And essentially what it's doing is looking at where has your focus and activity been in the last two weeks? Yeah. And you just create a little mind map. Yeah. And you actually capture all of the main areas that you've been focusing on. Mm. And then what you do is you actually put a percentage of time to them, which yeah. is the hard thing. Yeah. Because most people aren't aware of where they're spending their time. Yeah. And then from there, the next step is ignore what that is and actually map out what should you be doing with your time. Map it out again. 
identify the percentages of time, and then you can use that to go, all right, where have I been the last two weeks and where should I be? And it's a simple activity, but geez, it's really powerful. Along those same lines, you mentioned something else in your book. I think at some point you just said, imagine if someone could film you for the day and we just watch that show. And I thought, geez, I, I would like to think that it'd be kind of productive, but it's scary to think maybe it's not. Maybe if you could somehow capture all the times my mind is distracted by little things or I'm moving from one activity to another and back again and not giving either of them my my full attention, all of the distractions that we've just talked about, it, it's, I don't know. I don't know whether I'd come out with a pass mark or not. I'd like to think I, I would. But I'm betting there are some days where I just would fail quite miserably at that. Yeah, well, and I reckon most people live in what I call the world of delusion. <laughs> so that means I'm a they better driver better than most than, people. Yeah, that's it. They think they're better than what they are. And yeah. I remember we worked, we did some work in an automotive dealership, and it was with the service advisors. So these are the people when you drop your car off for a service, they're the ones that greet you and they find out what's going on, and then they kind of hand it off to the technicians who actually get on the tools and do the work. And we did a little time motion study with a camera in there and watched where one of them walked from their desk to the car park to individual cars 32 times in one day. Wow. Yeah. And what it was is because they had to get the owner's books out of the cars to stamp them, right? Yeah. Part of the things that a lot of dealerships do. Yeah. And we go, well, were you aware you were spending that much time? You know, why wouldn't you just change the process where you might meet people out there and remind them to have the books? Yeah. And just one little tweak yeah, yeah. completely changed their whole day and <laughs> freed up massive amounts of time. Yeah. So again, most of us just aren't aware of it. We're just going through the motions on the treadmill. All right. Well, where to now? We're, we're still talking about personal hacks, I'm, I'm guessing. We've talked about distractions. There's also productivity and technology and email. Where are some of your best tips amongst those other things that we can concentrate when it comes to leading ourselves? Yeah. I think the biggest thing is having your inbox, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Because we know that all the e- emails are coming in, right? Every day we get more and more and more emails. We can't keep up with it. The McKinsey Global Institute did a report and they said most employees spend an average of 2.6 hours per day reading and answering emails. Yeah. Right. So if you total that up, that's about 13 hours of lost time. Yeah. Well, some because have, most people, some of which might be productive though, right? Do it well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of it will be. Yeah. But I, I look at that going, well, if I'm, you know, if I can make myself 10 or 20% more productive, yeah. that's 13 hours a day. That's another one and a half or three hours. I'll take it. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I'll take it. So there's one of the, the biggest things you can do to hack your inbox is there's um, somebody that his name is Kevin Cruz, and he wrote a great book called The 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management. Mm-hmm. And it was on the New York Times bestseller list. And what he did is he studied habits of billionaires, entrepreneurs, Olympic athletes, and he found that many of them actually use a system to try and actually limit their distractions and their time and be more effective. And what he did through that process is he created what's called a three to one zero approach. All right. Tell us about that. And this that. is for hacking your inbox. Hacking your inbox. So the way that it works, yeah, he recommends that you schedule three times per day to check your email, mm-hmm. morning, noon, and night, Yep. and then set your phone timer to 21 minutes, and that creates a game. So when you check it, you only have 21 minutes to spend on the email, and that's it, yeah. three times a day. Yeah. And your goal is to get to zero. So no emails by the time your timer goes off. 
And this creates a little bit of a game. And I think there's something in what, what's called gamification. Yeah. When things become a game, they stop being a chore. And I think that's one little simple game that people can use rather than going, I'm going to get distracted and keep checking my inbox every three minutes. Right? I'm not going to check it at all until, except for three times a day. I reckon a now bunch of people just heard you then, Scott, and said, all right, first of all, 21 minutes is nowhere near enough if I'm doing it three times a day because I get 150 a day and X yep. percentage of them are really important. And there would have been people who right. were also thinking, I can't wait until lunchtime to check them. What if something's important? What if someone has sent me an email that needs to be actioned straight away? What do you say to, to those, I reckon, almost reflex reactions from a good percentage Correct. of people? So that means you're not effective. Yeah. That's what that means. Yep. Right? Because I'm all, the oh, wait truth. A what do you mean? Right? So so maybe you go, well, okay, rather than three, maybe I make it, make it a six, two, one, zero. So maybe I'll do it six times a day. I think for most people, it's just important to limit the checking. Yeah. And if it's not three, maybe the goal is to get to three times a day. So maybe you do it twice in the morning, twice towards the middle of the afternoon, and twice at the end of the day. So I think there's you can hack that hack if that makes sense yeah. to make it work for you. But, but the and real thing is, is also- the result is what you don't want is to have it open on your second screen all the time and being drawn into it every single time you get a new email, which is what I think Turn a lot of us do just just absolutely naturally. We have it open and we will be working on another, another document and distract ourselves every time a new email comes. Correct. And then you stop your flow. Yeah. Then you, you go off to something done. else. Correct. Correct. There's another thing that I think you can use, again, on hacking your inbox, and it's a four-step process. And I found that uh, when I actually studied lots of different people, there was one person who's very senior in one of the banks. She does a lot of hiring for the CEOs and all of that in HR, and she oversees a number of territories. And I was talking to her about how she does email. And uh, what she mentioned really clicked with me. And then what I found is it happens with lots of people that are really, really quick. What I mean by that is people that are on top of their lives, on top of their inboxes, seem to actually hack their inbox. And there's a four-step process that she used that I think is really useful. The first thing that she did is she scans. So whenever she's got her inbox, she doesn't read, because most of us read from the top down and click, 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 click. First step is just scan through. Right. So don't even read or click through, just scan what's there. Second step is delete. Yeah. Get rid of the things that are not relevant, not important, that you don't even need. Because you know straight away and some of them are nothing. Find, right. And what yeah. you'll find again, if you're getting 150 emails a day, I reckon half of them are junk. And that's what the research is showing. More and more people are getting more junk things yeah. that just don't matter. They just distract you. Yeah. Yeah. The third step is then sorting, sorting through. Now, a lot of the email programs can allow you to do this. Right. So if you think about it, Google actually has, you know, what you actually want specifically, it'll actually give you primary and social and promotions. So you can actually use that to sort through. You can do it by the person that you received it from or the topic and then go to the respond. Then you respond based on the things that are the most important. And I think if a lot of people actually just did a small little four step hack, it would make them find heaps of time rather than being distracted throughout the day. Hey, you know what, Scott? When I read that, that four-step process, I actually felt pretty good about myself because it made me realize that's kind of what I do. I don't go yeah. through every email that's there. I do scan, delete. I delete a lot of emails before I even open them, and I'm, I'm just assuming everyone does that. 
Yeah, I see yeah, stuff that is not relevant to me. Yeah. Delete, delete. Happy to see yeah. unopened emails go out the trash and then just yeah. open the ones that I've got to deal with right now. But what I don't do, mate, is that three, two, one, limit myself to three times a day. I'm going to try that yeah. because I think that's a really great one yeah. because I am, so, even though I'm supposed to be aware of this stuff because of what I do, I am just becoming super aware of how much I'm distracted by having it open on my second screen. And in those periods of time of the day where I'm sitting at my desk trying to get something done, I just have it sitting there. It's crazy. Now now that I think about it, it's just a really bad habit that I'm going to change. As of tomorrow, you have inspired me. Great. Good to hear, mate. <laughs> All right. Now, we better move on. Yes. Before, well, okay. You, you, no, no. If you, want, if you want to say something else, let's drop another gold nugget. Give that's one, great. Mate. One more hack, because I reckon this is really important. The other thing that you can do is you can hack the emails that you send. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right? So this is great. Yep. The emails we send are crap. Yep. Right, oh, they are. No doubt. Right? So most of them, you, know, you get an email and you're not sure what to do with it. So just a couple of things. If you hack the emails that you send, it's going to make everybody else more productive, and they'll actually start doing the same thing back with you. Yeah. So one, one or two big important points around this. One is make sure that you actually – don't just send a flat text, create your email that has text that's formatted and has what's called visual content. Yeah. So what that means is you bold something. If you use bullets, if yeah. you underline, what that does is it allows somebody when they get the email to quickly scan and see what are you asking them to do? Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing you can do. It doesn't take a lot of time. The second thing, again, on hacking the emails that you send. Because just, just on that one, because like you say in yeah. the book, that, that's, newspapers are written that way. Websites are created that way because it catches our attention and it engages our brain. Because we don't just read left to right, top to bottom. Our eyes are scanning all around the place. So as an email writer, why not give our audience something for their eyes to feast on and to be able to understand what's the important bits and where they should be reading? Yeah. And what you'll find is you'll get more responses and better quality responses when yeah. you do that yeah. because people know what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, specify the outcome at the very beginning of your email. Really, there's usually five outcomes that you want for sending an email. It's an FYI. It's just something you need to be aware of. Yeah. Or I need to gather some information from you. Mm-hmm. I need this, this information. Yeah. Or I need you to make a decision. Yeah. Here's what's going on. Yeah. Make a decision. It may be to act. I need you to act on this because of this and this and this. And the final one is we need it. We need to get face to face or have yeah. a conference call because we need to actually have a discussion. Yeah. Even putting one of those five specific outcomes, the very top. In fact, I have some clients that put that in, in the their actual subject. Yeah. You're so right. I get subject. First thing is FYI, info, decide, act, meet. Yeah. And I know straight away what you need me to do. Yeah, that's, that's great. And because not only does it tell the reader what you want them to do, it kind of gives a little bit of guidance for you as the email writer. What do I really mean by this email? What do I want as a result of this? It's a, it's a two-way, double-edged sword, that one. No, no, that's because yeah. oh, that's a bad definitely. thing, double-edged sword. That's the wrong saying. It works two ways, that email. It benefits both sender and receiver is what I mean by that. Well, it, what it does is it forces you to be really clear on, yeah. all right, if I'm sending this email, mm. what do I want them to do with it? Yeah. And if we had more people doing that, the number of emails that are sent would be reduced. Yeah. But, you know, God, in fact, I had to send an email yesterday and I, again, I did the formatting and everything else. I wanted to send it and I thought, you know what? I can't send it yet. I need this other piece of information in it. Otherwise, I'm going to have to send them two separate emails, which means it's taken twice of my time and it's going to take twice of their time to open two separate ones. Where if I could have just waited, which I did, waited to get the other piece of information, then I could actually save both of my time. 
Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. You mentioned someone in your book who I've had on the podcast. Is it John Dury who talks about friction and flow? And uh, uh, work- no, that would be Dermot. That would Dermot. be Dermot. You're right, Dermot. Dermot Crowley, yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic podcast, Correct. not that long ago on my show. I love that concept of friction or flow. Teams are either in a state of friction or flow. If you're doing what you just described there, sending an email that's not clear about the outcome, sending it before you've got all the information and therefore have to send a second, weighing people's inbox down, slowing them down, that's just one of the ways that we create friction for each other. Whereas the other thing you described, waiting till you've got all the information setting up some headings so people can scan it and understand it, making it clear what the action is. This is an FYI, or this is for your consideration, or this is for a decision. It just creates that state of flow. Everyone knows what they're doing. Everything's moving smoothly. We're not getting in each other's way. Mm. It makes everybody actually go the same direction a lot faster as well. It's great. All right. Well, I'm really bogs you down in these personal hacks. They're fantastic. This is all about leading yourself, sorting out your own world at work and beyond. Then we move to number two. I like the way that you've broken leadership down, mate. I I mentioned that at the beginning, but the idea of breaking it down from leading myself to leading others is not what we normally do, but you've broken it down to leading myself, leading others one-on-one and leading a team, which makes perfect sense. So Give us some of your top one-on-one hacks, leading someone one-on-one. Yeah, I think the biggest one, uh, and probably the one that I use the most with clients, is what I call the delegation hack. And um, geez, you know, most leaders don't delegate. We know that all the research shows that, you know, and I, I got to put my hand up as well. You know, I know there are times when I should have delegated to one of my staff yeah. and I just didn't. You thought, oh, it's you know, easier it's just to do it because, myself. Correct. It's that voice in the back of the head that says, you know, the amount of time it's going to take to communicate it to them, mm. I can just do it myself, which actually is true to an extent. The first time. There are some things that, yeah, you can do quicker. Correct. But if you multiply that over and over again, yeah. but it's more than that. It's about developing your people yeah. to step up to this level. Yeah. So I look at this going, wow, you had a great opportunity to develop your people, get them to step up. And because you were so selfish, you chose not to. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to get leaders to start doing. We need to get them to start delegating. So uh, for me, I kind of fell across this delegation hack a number of years ago. The first company I had in Australia when I came out about 22 years ago was a conference team building company. And if you remember back in the late 90s, everything was the rage with outdoor team building. I don't remember, remember yeah. if you remember those little I activities do. outside. Yeah. And that's the company that I did. I did that in America for about six years before that came out here, started doing that. And in part of my process, one of my strategies was, how do I scale my business really quick? And I didn't have a lot of cash. I didn't want to actually have a whole bunch of full-time employees. So what I did is I put together a partnership with some conference centers and resorts around Sydney. And the philosophy was, well, if we do team building activities there, they'll have a chance to get more conference room nights. Well, this worked really well. And see what happened is we ended up getting five conference centers that we became partnerships with, which was great because we didn't have any sales staff besides me and my partner at the time. But every one of these results had a conference sales staff of between four and seven full-time staff. So suddenly we had five centers times five. We had 25 people promoting our conference team building, which was really great. 
But where the delegation hat came about is in one of these, we actually got a staff member that was north of Sydney and Terrigal at the Crown Plaza. Uh, so we actually took that site over and in the exchange, we got another staff member and her name was Claire. And Claire was amazing. Still good friends with me to this day. And um, she was a bull at a gate and she would never, never give up, which was great. But one of the things that I found with Claire is she never took the time to plan. Yeah, She wouldn't plan it out. She would just go and then things would fall off the rails a little bit. So to get her integrated into the systems we had, again, she was up, you know, two hours north of Sydney. Once a fortnight, I would travel up or she would travel down on the train and we'd spend some time looking at what activities are on her plate. And what I started doing is I started mapping like a little mind map about here's the task. And I'd ask her, what do you think you need to do to try and get this task accomplished? And as she would share the ideas, I would map it out on a sheet of paper. Not everything she wrote, but just kind of the steps. And that's essentially how the delegation model came to be. Yeah, right. Because most leaders don't know how to delegate. Yeah. There's four levels of delegation. So the top level is what I call level four. Level four is I'm going to delegate it to you. I'm going to sit back and look for the results. Yeah. So you're, you're, now, so you're able to do it. You understand the task. You're a mature professional. Correct. correct. And this yeah. is the biggest mistake most leaders make, yeah. right? They get it. They're new to the role or they get a new staff member and they go, oh, you've been in the industry for 10 years. Yeah, here, do this. You know this. exactly what to do. Yeah. Do this. And it comes back and it's not the level you want or they don't make the time frame you want. What I find most leaders give people two goes. All right, that didn't work that one. A week later, let me delegate another task. And they still don't achieve it. And then what happens is, you know what? I'm not going to delegate to this person anymore because I don't want to risk my reputation or the needs of our department or our business to not get done. When really this it's, is where it's, most- it's been the quality of the delegation that's the problem, the way it, the work has Correct. been delegated. So you're reminding Correct. me there of situational leadership where we think about the two variables in delegating a task are the complexity of a task and the maturity of the person who you want to do the task. That, you know, if it's Correct. a complex- And the third level- Yeah, sorry. Yeah. The third level is the leader's ability to communicate. Yeah, yeah. And that's the piece that's right. missing. Situation yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Nice. But it's how do I communicate it and how do I turn it into kind of a learning session mm. rather than not giving things to people that aren't kind of there yet, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So the knee-jerk reaction is people go from level four, which is delegating everything, and they knee-jerk down to level one, which is I'm not going to delegate to this person at all. Yeah. I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. I can't risk my reputation. You know, thought they were good, but they don't know what they're talking about when it comes to this. And that's where a lot of leaders get stuck, which is terrible. That's why all leaders are overloaded. That's why they don't have time to do the emails, right? That's why they don't have time to get rid of the distractions because they're doing a whole bunch of things that their staff should be doing for them. So level two is what I'm talking about that I did with Claire. Level two is sitting down with somebody and mapping it together. Yeah. Mapping what steps are, but it's asking them, not telling them. So what do you think? we need to do to make this happen. Uh, I really and then it's like actually the diagram. It if, if, you, if you're listening, just, yeah, pi- yeah. just picture the diagram, just in, the, in a circle in the middle of the page, describe the task. And then out of that, you know, in mind map fashion, just each of the major tasks that you would need to complete that task, the overall task, each of the steps that you would take. And if there are sub steps of those, then there's the next rung of the mind map. And then there's the next phase yeah. of, um, of prioritizing and putting some deadlines around it as well, Scott. Correct. So and simple. That's, that's Great. The Fantastic. Just map it. It's got to be on one sheet of paper yeah. or it can be on a tablet. I've done yeah. it on tablets with staff as well. 
but the whole goal is that you do it with them. Yeah. And the reason why is the relationship shifts. They see that you're asking them, you're empowering them, you're still guiding them because if they get stuck, you're still going to say, oh, here's a step. And then the other thing you do is you ask them to sequence it. What do you think you need to do first, second, third, fourth? Yeah. And you number it on that sheet of paper or on the iPad, and there's the written action plan. Yeah, it's brilliant. I, I really like it. In its simplicity, it, it was so lovely. That's one of those things that I've read that I go, I, I thought to myself, I am absolutely going to do that. That is so lovely and simple. Scott, we are quickly running out of time because I've interrupted you so many times through our conversation. But let's get on to the third category, the team hacks. Hit us with something about team meetings, mate, because we've talked about one of the, the great evils of the workplace already, that's emails. But the second of the great evils, oh, actually, and lack of creativity because we don't have time. And the, the, the next, yep. the third of the great evils are team meetings or just meetings in general. We all know that we spend too much time in meetings. We all know that we spend time, we're in meetings that are not organized, that last too long, where the results or the objectives aren't met. What are your great hacks to save us from meetings? Yeah, there's, there's a lot. <laughs> if you look at all the time that people lose in meetings, mm. it's massive. And yeah. I reckon it's amplified even further, especially because we can now quickly schedule meetings with people at a click of a button which means everybody just shows up. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that you need to do, and there's two parts of it. First of all, what's the purpose of the meeting? And that's what I find. People aren't sure of what is the purpose. Is it just getting together to chat? Well, if it's getting gathered just to have a chat, that's not really effective. And the challenge is a lot of people or quite a few people, they just like having a chat. Yeah. So what yeah. is the actual purpose of the meeting? And people need to know what that is ahead of time. Hmm. And specifically, there's really four types of team meetings. And this also goes to the purpose. One team meeting is about reporting, right? So it's just the reporting where we need somebody to report and we need everybody together to know what it is, right? That's probably the most common meeting that most people have across Australia or across the world. Really? Um, the second type of team, yeah, absolutely. Every one of the clients I work with, sales team meeting, every Monday morning, we are going to have a sales reporting meeting. Yeah. Other organizations, it's same thing. Monday morning, it is the market share meeting. Yeah, What's right. our market share in the last week? Yeah. Uh, you know, or monthly market share. And it's across industry. So it can be in banking, they do it. In finance, they do it. In retail, they do it. Yeah, it's across the board. Yeah, so right. reporting is one. And again, you could have a reporting meeting. I think reporting meetings can be useful. But at the same time, you've got to be clear on what you want to do. You know, because what, what I find is people try and do too many things in their meeting. Yeah, right. Right? Too so many different types, types of meetings, yeah. Yeah. So the four types of meeting, one's reporting. The second type of meeting is problem solving, right? We've got a problem, let's fix it. The third one is decision making, which is we've got some facts, we've got to make a decision. And then the fourth one is what I call strategy development, mm -hmm. right? Where we need to look at, you know, what's our strategy, where we need to be either as an organization or as a project or as a product team, you know, moving forward. Planning and what stuff. I find is most, yeah, the planning things. And what I find is most people combine the team meetings. So we say we're going to have a team meeting and it's yeah. a reporting meeting, yeah. but it's also a problem-solving meeting and a decision-making meeting. So in right? your so mind, Scott, is it, is it a lot yeah. more efficient to just have two separate meetings? So you have your reporting absolutely. meeting and you absolutely nail that bit. And then uh, you know later in the day or tomorrow, then you have your problem-solving meeting. By, by combining Correct. those two different types, you reckon it just gets a bit sloppy and, and inefficient? 
I think it gets sloppy because some of the people in the room don't need to be in there yeah, right. for either the reporting okay. or the problem solving. Yeah, yeah. So what it means is you're wasting people's time because sometimes you might have it could be a executive team meeting and there might be you know eleven people on the executive and going through and reporting their KPIs, right? And you know uh, and then get into off track on one particular issue, which is only relevant to three of the departments. Mm. So yeah. what happens is everybody spends the next 90 minutes. Yeah. In a meeting they don't need to be. And some of them don't even have any expertise of what the current process or systems are in those areas. So they're just making it up, yeah. which means it's going to take more time because then other people have to explain, well, that would make sense, but our system does X, Y, and Z. So what you just said kind of isn't relevant. That's more that's of Dermot Crowley's issues. friction, isn't it, coming out in, in those situations? Correct. Creating it keeps friction. coming out. So if, if you want to have a reporting meeting, what I talked about uh, in the book is have a three-step process. So first thing, com- communicate the results or KPIs. Um, second thing, share your immediate plan or activity that you're focusing on next, right? And then the third thing is if you do need assistance, let people know, and then you can schedule a separate meeting just for the people that are actually relevant or can assist for a separate problem-solving meeting if somebody is having issues. Yeah. Very quick way to hack a team meeting. Yeah, that's great. Mate, that's great stuff. Look, I could talk to you all night about these type of hacks because they're so interesting in everything that you've just described. If you work in an office environment, if you work in a large organization or a medium organization where you've got all of these different things going on, lots of emails, distractions, meetings, all of these things, you know that if you were to add it all up over a week, a month, a year, there is so much time lost through these these distractions and inefficiencies and not needing to be there and just not doing stuff the smart way. And if you were to just pick out, I reckon three, I'm thinking I'm going to do three of the things you said from tomorrow, Scott. And I reckon if everyone was just to pick a few of them, you would just, I don't know, I'm really looking forward to the benefits of the ones that I've picked out because they're, they're really powerful. They're clever. They're the definition of hacks in that way. They're just smart, clever things to do that we really should be doing and, and not ignoring the downside of our bad habits. Yeah. And it helps not only get results. The other thing that it does it helps in, improve your influence and your impact on the people around you. Yeah. And nowadays with everybody so busy, the more you can improve the culture of an organization or a team or a department, the better everybody else is. So yeah, you, you can kind of knock off two tasks with the same approach. Two birds with one stone. Scott, that is a wonderful place to leave it. Thank you so much for joining me on the Team Guru podcast. I've really enjoyed our chat. Great. Thanks very much, David. And that was Scott Stein. I like the way he thinks about leadership. It's practical. It's clever. There are a bunch of things from that conversation that you can take away and start doing right now. Personally, I really enjoyed talking about his email hacks. I'm going to do the 3210 thing as of right now. I love it. I'm going to check my emails three times a day. I'm going to give myself 21 minutes to do it. And I'm going to aim to get my inbox down to zero. Emails, as you've heard me rave on about before, are one of the main pain points for so many people I work with. The other one I really loved was the simple way of delegating a task, sitting down with your colleague and creating a simple mind map. 
Name of the task circled in the middle of the page. All the steps that need to be completed to nail that task become branches with sub-branches if necessary. You put them in an order of priority and you give them a time frame. But most importantly, you get the other person, the person to whom you're delegating, the person you want to take ownership of the task to do the drawing. So they own the conversation and the process. There's two hacks that I'm going to start using today. What about you? Was there anything in there that you're going to get cracking on straight away? As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Scott on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Oh,